The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletical Physical Therapy and Art Van Furniture and Mattress. An hour-long conversation of Bears football, all things NFL, about to unfold. I'm Jeff Joniak, along with Tom Thayer, and welcome into another edition of Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. And joining us as well is the man from SiriusXM NFL Radio, Mr. Jim Miller. Jim, how are you doing? Oh, maybe not quite yet. But we got... There are you is. there? He can't hear us. Adam Staszynski. Brandon Arlowski, our producers tonight as we get you set for uh, conference football weekend. But a lot of things going on, obviously, this week. We're going to hear from uh, Jimbo Covert. I did with him on WBBM uh, earlier this week about uh, his Hall of Fame induction. So uh, part of you's in there, buddy. Yeah. Well, it's been fun because, you know, like I we were talking, I became aware of Jimbo Covert uh, in his high school days. And then I was, you know, parallel with his time at Pitt um, in new at Pitt offensive line and what their production there, what their position coach was all about, the success he had. And then my senior year in college, we went to Pitt and played Pitt. They were number one in the country. We were awful, but we ended up beating them. So, and then we played in the Hula Bowl together, a college all-star game. So I, I knew a lot about Jimbo. Jimbo before he ever became a member of the Chicago Bears and I think there's a couple guys you meet throughout the course of your career that you recognize early that they are going to be super successful and Ed Sprinkle goes in as well a player from the 40s and 50s uh, certainly a very difficult assignment for the for the staff uh, that uh, was put together the Hall of Fame uh, committee the Blue Ribbon panel and to get him elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame passed away several years ago but uh, Jim Miller, when you get th- those guys that uh, a lot of folks don't have a-, a video of or don't recall or ever even had a chance to see them play, very difficult assignment when you're comparing eras and so forth. Yeah, go back to, you know, 44 through 1955 when he played. And this, again, it tells you how different things were. As a pass rusher, obviously, Papa Hallis thought he was one of the best uh, pass rushers in the league, but he was 6'1", 206 pounds. Far different than what it is today in terms of what you look at it, the the size of players. But, hey, had all the heart, had all the intangibles. I love what the Blue Ribbon panel uh, put together. They had great historians on there like Bill Belichick that really studies the uh, the league. So guys were getting elected back in the 1920s. You know, I, I had the opportunity to talk to Dave Baker, the uh, president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I honestly wish he would open it up every five or seven years where they allow more players into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But this is the Centennial class. He said, Jim, this is it. This is it. We'll never do it again. And so a couple of Chicago Bears make the list and why the Bears have the most Hall of Famers at, you know, the, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I you know whatever era that you're talking about in the NFL, I don't think size dictates courage. Right. Because you look at some of the guys that we have seen throughout our career, before our career, and that have come since. I don't think Tariq Cohen lacks any courage at all in the game. Darren Sproles never shied away from contact. And that's when you talk about these older guys of different sizes. I imagine they had as much courage as anybody in the history of the league no matter what size they were maybe a lot more yes, given, yeah. the, given the equipment right. that they were wearing back in the day this is bears all access we're going to take a break when we return we'll be joined by the brand new offensive line coach of the chicago bears juan castillo looking forward to the conversation ahead here on chicago sports radio 670 the score
Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Jeff Tom and Jim Miller with you on Bears All Access. Get you set uh, for what's ahead for the Bears throughout the course of the year, this offseason. It's it's moving quickly, that's for sure. I mean, it's already conference uh, championship weekend. We'll break into those games a little bit. We'll hear from Jimbo Covert in our following segment. Uh, we're going to talk to the offensive line coach of the Bears, Juan Castillo, in a few minutes. But uh, there's also reports uh, about the Bears adding a new quarterback coach in John Filippo, And uh, got to know him a little bit, uh, well-regarded in that in that role. Yeah, a lot of experience. A lot of experience both in offensive philosophy and the way you think about scheming and then also how to develop players. I think everywhere from anywhere in the backfield, from you know the running backs to the quarterbacks to the production of the tight end position. So I think one thing you have to look about, look about with the moves that the Bears have made, they brought in tons of coaching experience. When you talk about having your eyes on the product that you're going to coach and you're going to teach. I think you're bringing in, you know, decades of experience with the coaches they're bringing through here. Yeah, and I just think the the style of offense, you know, obviously being with Doug Peterson, um, you know, for a couple of years there in Philadelphia, and granted Frank Reich and other coaches moved on, and Filippo got his opportunity to move on to become the OC of the Minnesota Vikings. Then obviously this past year uh, down in Jacksonville, I think, again, he, he shares, he comes with knowledge with what, Coach Nagy is trying to accomplish on offense, and we could say that about a few of these coaches, whether it's Bill Lazor, who they added as the OC. I think you think about those years in Philly and the years that he developed kind of you know, athletic quarterbacks, whether it's Ryan Tannehill uh, down there. I thought he had a very efficient year under Bill Lazor. And I think uh, Andy Dalton, when he was the OC there in Cincinnati for Marvin Lewis's last stretch run there, I thought Andy Dalton was more efficient, and that offense got a lot better. So bringing him on board. And then, of course, we'll talk to Juan Castillo because obviously he brings a mindset that is very much like Kansas City football and Andy Reid, and I'm sure that's something uh, something why Matt Nagy brought that on board as well at the O-line spot. And, and again, uh, the Bears have not officially made these uh, d- made these official, you know, public Right. Or whatever, but Dave Ragone as a pass coordinator, uh, getting a promotion from quarterback coach uh, after you know being here in Mitch's lone quarterback coach these last three years, and still understanding exactly what Matt's trying to implement. Well, you know, the thing about it is is Mitch is going to forge new relationships with the new coaches that come aboard on the offensive side of the ball, but he's got a good relationship with Dave Ragone. He's got a sounding board. He's got a person that he can speak to because he already knows him. He can speak to him confidently, and I think he'll be able to do the same thing with the rest of the coaches that come aboard, but until you really get to know him, you get to understand what the way their personalities work day in and day out of a long season from OTAs till the conclusion of the regular season I, I think Dave Ragone can really be a a real positive uh, person in the backfield also Jim when you were quarterbacking and all your different spots did you have I know there, there's new uh, positions being created yeah. every year by coaching staffs to create the as many assets as you can what did you prefer as a quarterback? Yeah, well, back in the day, it kind of it wasn't like that. I don't want to say back in the day, like oh I yeah, it was back little, in the day. Well, have just, you looked in the mirror yet? Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was with a, a grizzled OC that had done it a long time in in Ron Herhart. I always bring him up, and I yeah, was so do. fortunate to have him as, as my coach. And no, it was just you heard it right from the horse's mouth. It went from the offensive coordinator right to you. But now, because football has become more mechanical and specialized, that started kind of the infusion. 
of a lot more quarterback coaches where you could work on mechanics. And Ron Earhart never even believed in that. And I'll tell you why. He goes, he goes when he because when he drafted you, he goes, I never tried to draft a quarterback who was mechanically inefficient. You know, he said I wouldn't even want to deal with that as a coach. So because it was more about the bigger picture, picture and things like that. And anywhere I went, Chris Palmer who had been a long-time OC in the NFL. He was our OC and our and our quarterback coach in Jacksonville. And even when we arrived with the Bears, you know, pr- pretty much John Shoup became the quarterback coach. But then once he was elevated to uh, OC, he became the, the quarterback coach in OC uh, by, de- you know, by, by default. And so it used to be like that. But now you see a lot of teams wanting to work on more mechanics. The OC can't spend the amount of time because he's bounced around with other meeting rooms and responsibilities. And now the quarterback coach has become kind of a more of a central figure, especially when you're trying to bring along young guys. By uh, and large, would... do you view this, and in your circles, and both of you guys jump in, do you, do you view this as a positive development for young quarterbacks? Is it a necessity? Yeah, I think so. But I think you you got to challenge them. You know, I, I, you and I had a conversation, Jeff. I mean, you know, about learning defense. Every, anytime, I'll just tell you what Ron Earhart used to do with me in, in Pittsburgh. Literally, every time we watched a meeting room, it, he already knew Neil O'Donnell and Mike Tomczak knew. Those guys had played in the league eight to ten years at that point already. When I got in those meetings, he made me physically in front of Neil O'Donnell and Mike Tomczak call out every defensive front and every coverage for every down of every game that we ever watched. Jim, what's the front? What's the coverage? All right, if I were to call this play, what's your read versus this? And he challenged me, oh, what blitz, or if they blitz this, what are you checking to? And he kind of put you on a spot, and you had to know it. I mean, or he'd throw you up on the board. Hey, draw up uh, an under front, um, you know, uh, Sam Mike scrape blitz. What are you going to do against it get when I call out this play? And he'd put you on a spot, and I'll tell you what, my ass got in the playbook. And I learned it, and I learned my protections. <laughs> I think that's a challenge of any position coaches. They call your name out with immediacy, and you better pay attention. You better be able to answer it correctly, or it's just an indication that you're really not absorbing or paying attention the way that is expected of you in those meetings. And one of those uh, veteran <laughs> position coaches of note that is now a Chicago Bear assistant coach, offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, kind enough to join Bears All Access. Good evening, Juan. How you doing? Is let me be on. There you go. How you doing, Juan? Welcome to I'm Chicago. Doing well, thank you. Welcome to Chicago. Excited to be in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I, we're we're gonna talk Bears, but I I gotta go. I gotta go way back for a minute because and, and the only reason I'm bringing this up right away is uh, Steve Sable, who I had met one time at a Super Bowl NFL Films and just uh, elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, uh, passed away several years ago, but. He, he did a, 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 an NFL Films piece on you called The American Dream, and I watched it today, and I was just blown away by a few stories on there. This, your, your doggedness to land NFL jobs and what you, the extent to which, by which you went to convince a guy like Andy Reid or a guy like Ray Rhodes to, to get a job to start your career. Uh, just a fascinating piece that I was unaware of just how how you went about doing that in this day and age. I mean, uh, you know, you think that's what every young guy has to do, but you went way beyond it, <laughs> the call. Well, you know, you know, the thing about it that, that I, and, I, and I think all these things are important when you're coaching kids and, and, and you're trying to take them to the next level. You know, my mom taught me work ethic. I have a sister that's an internal medicine doctor and neither of my parents went to even grade school. They came from Mexico. They, 
they they did have papers and my mom became my, my dad died when I was in fifth grade. So my mom, before she died, became an American citizen, which was one of her, her greatest moments in her life, you know? So, so no, it's, it, it is. And so I carried that, you know, as a, as a coach, you know, I, I wanted to learn. First of all, I started, you know, I played linebacker in the USFL. So I was on the defensive side of the ball and, what happened is when, when um, my college coach wanted to get me on the staff, the only position open was coaching the offensive line. So that's how it kind of started. You know, what I, what I did is I didn't know anything about offensive line, but what I, what I did is I went to visit seven of the best offensive line coaches in the, in the country. Five were in the NFL and two were in, the, were in college. And, and I went to see them every, every, uh, every year for five years and, you know, the first couple of years I was sleeping in the car because, you know, you didn't have that kind of money to, so I would, I, I drove to Indianapolis and from there I would just take two weeks and drive to see all these guys, you know, all these coaches and, and it's crazy how they helped me. And what you find out is that those guys were the top of, at their profession at that time. And what I did is I just took the best from each one of those guys. And, you know, the thing that they didn't know was that, I never told them that I was going to visit another guy. They all thought I was their guy, you know, <laughs> and everything. And you know, that was crazy is by the third year, I'm staying at their houses, you know. It was unbelievable how they started, you know, how they helped me because, you know, they'd find out that I was sleeping in the car, you know, and. Oh, I love the story. I love the story, Juan, with Andy Reid after a game he was rumored to be the Philadelphia, you know, top candidate and you, your, your car was basically snowed under in the parking lot after a playoff game. And, and, and he, he was told, Hey, uh, there's a guy named Juan Castillo in the parking lot. wants to talk to you. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's commitment, Juan. Uh, yes, sir. Well, you know, I, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to get to coaches and, and they may know who you are, but I just wanted to make sure that they coach, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm available, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to work and, and they know your work. I think the hard part at the beginning is you have to have a resume. You know, now it's a little different. I, I've coached 24 years in the NFL, 18 in Philadelphia, four in, in Baltimore, and, and then two in Buffalo. So you have a resume, and people start knowing you. And so it's a little different now. But, but at the beginning, you know, it's tough. It's tough getting an opportunity. But the thing that's, that's, that's amazing is those seven coaches that helped me, that's how I was able to maintain – you know, 24 years in the league because they were able to teach me the things that that I was able to teach players. And, you know, every player loves a coach that's going to make them better. And and the thing that happens in the NFL sometimes is that, you know, you have veteran players. So you have to know what you're doing to get those veteran players to listen you know, so that they can get better. And I think that's one of my strengths is that, is that I, I you know, there's a certain way I teach pass protection and certain things throughout the years that, I think that the kids end up learning that, hey, you know, you know, Juan's going to help me be better, you know, and, and I think that's important. Hey, Coach Juan, I, I also played in the USFL for three years. This is Tom Thayer. I played in the, with the Arizona Wranglers. And I, actually, our oh, last wow. game was against the San Antonio Gunslingers. How, how <laughs> was – how was for me, it was a positive experience because I got quality coaching. We had a good organization led by George Allen. And I know San Antonio did go through some difficulty, but how was that experience for you as a young man, but also as a player? Well, you know, just like, just exactly what you said. It knowledge-wise, you know, just as a coach, you know, I was getting coached 
you know, his name was Jim Bates, you know, who was a hell of yeah, a linebacker yeah. coach, coaching the NFL for a long time. So what it did, it, it helped me at just to be able to learn more things. And I think what ends up happening is that people understand is that to be a better, to be a good offensive line coach or be a good offensive coach, you better understand defense and vice versa, you know. So the, the what helps me be a, you know, a, a good line coach, which I'm going to, I'm going to prove to y'all because you always have to prove yourself is that my ability to understand how defenders, how the defensive ends and how the defensive tackles rush or they, how they play the run because I coached over there. I, I've been over there. I coach those guys. So I understand exactly what they're doing. So I'm able to present the issues and the problems to, to the offensive players and explain exactly what they're doing. Well, Coach Jim Miller here. Congratulations. Welcome to the Chicago Bears. And I just want to let the listeners know, I, we always hated playing the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, you guys brought a tough, uh, you know, tough-minded uh, brand of, of football. And just for the listeners out there, here were their starting tackles. Uh, uh, when you look at the Sean, An- or excuse me, the offensive line, Trey Thomas was the left tackle. John Runyon was probably one of the toughest guys to ever play right tackle, Perfect. in my words. That's right. I'm good friends with Todd Harriman's because he grew up here in Michigan. He was their left guard. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamal Jackson, he was a great center. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. to have college, that tough mindset, coach. Yeah, college free agent, you know, and and usually we had we would have one or two college free agents, but you know, that's a good point that you that you talk about because you know, what I found out being a defensive coach is, you know, everybody talks about in the offensive line room you know, you're fortunate if you have one or two guys that are that are tough guys or guys that that might play on defense. And the, and people say, well, you know, what is it with line? Well, I said, if if all the offensive linemen were like that, they would be playing defense. You know, offensive linemen are different. It's a different mentality. But as a coach, you have to teach them and 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 talk about being physical and finishing. And that's what we did at Philadelphia. You know, and and then your players. It's like when a fight breaks out. You know. Well, you know what? When a fight breaks out, your old line coach, you know, I'm the old line coach. I better be in there trying to break it up because when you talk about being physical and tough, you have to walk the walk too. You know, you have to be that. And, you know, when you talk to your kids about, you know, 30 minutes before practice, that's what we did in Philly, you know, with Coach Reed. Since he was a line guy, you know, he played line, he would let me start practice individual 30 minutes before practice so that, you know, Offensive linemen, you can yell all you want. The only way that they get better is by doing something, doing a skill over and over and over till it becomes natural. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yelling doesn't get it done or, or cussing. or That's not the way it happens, you know. And so Coach Reed understood that. And But, again, for your players is if you're going to want them to work like that, then you better be the first one in the building and the last one in the building. And you don't have to tell them that. They just know because they know who you are. Hey, Coach Juan, so you better, you know, being in the NFL for 24 years and seeing the, the, the game change a little bit. So you get a linebacker like LeVon Kirkland, 6'1", 270, 260, whatever he was. Is there, could those guys play in today's game or is there so much of a speed coverage responsibility with RPOs in the pass happy league that maybe the game has changed a couple of those bodies out of the game? Well, you know what? The thing about those kind of guys is, those, you know, those guys could run too. You know, you go back and you talk about some of those great linebackers. Part of the reason they were great was because they were big, but they could also run 4'6", four, 4'5", four, or some were even, you know, look at Hollywood Henderson. You know, you talk about guys like that. 
you know, there's some of those guys, they could run too for, for the, for those days, you know? So I, I think still, you know, ability is ability, but you had some, some really good players back then that could still play in the, in this day and age. Well, coach, let, let me ask you this. Cause you mentioned about doing a skill set over and over and over again. How do you maximize it in modern day football? Because, you know, training camp is, is pretty much only one practice a day. It's not like in the old days where you could get, you know, a, a ton of reps in the morning and run and play action, then come back and work on the passing game in the afternoon. you got to get it all in, really, in one practice come training camp time and maximize well, here, it. Here's, here's, what, here's what you find out that's really important is that what you have to do is you have to sell, sell the kids. You know, that's what we did in Philadelphia with, with Coach Reed. And what we did is – that it was important to sell our kids that they understood that the only way that they're going to get better is by doing a certain skill that they need to improve on over and over and over. And so what ends up happening is those guys, when they go home in the spring, when they're away from us for four or five weeks, what they end up doing is they end up working on those skills because they learn the drills and they, it's not about how many drills you do. It's about doing the right drills and doing them over and over and over till you master the drill. And then it starts carrying over. But for us, it was the key was selling our kids into believing that you got to do things over and over and over. Some kids can do it a hundred times and now they got it. Some kids may have to do it a thousand times before they get it. But that's the only way that it's going to happen. It's not going to happen by hoping or yelling or cussing. It's just a matter of having to do it over and over and over till you master the drill. All right, Juan Castillo, Bears offensive line coach, kind enough to join us here for a few minutes on Bears All Access. Before I let you go, uh, obviously you have uh, connections through Andy Reid and, and Matt Nagy, and, and there's a lot of symmetry there. W- what have you seen from Matt in the course of his career since the time you met him back, I think it was, what, 1995? You know what, uh, the, the thing that I've seen is the passion. And that's why I'm excited to be to be back with him is because I think we both have passion for the game. We have passion for winning, you know, passion for being successful. And I think that's what I really enjoy, you know, that I was, I was happy the first day I was here, uh, first day that I came to work, basically, you know, uh, Matt and I sat and talked for about four, four and a half, five hours about just different schemes and players. And, you know, that's, that's the way it used to be with Coach Reed and I. You know, Coach Reed and I were, you know, we were, we were good friends, but we weren't good friends because we hung out out of the building. We were good friends because we were always there working together late at night, you know, so we did things. He was basically the coordinator and I was a line coach. So, him and I always did things, you know, we game plan together and things like that. Kind of like Matt and I were talking, and, and it was kind of it was kind of neat because it reminded me of Coach Reed and I. Well, we could probably talk to you for a full two hours because you got a wealth of experience and a, a lot of great stories, I'm sure. But we'll we'll catch up to you down the road. So uh, welcome back uh, to the game. Welcome to Chicago, and I'll be looking forward to talking to you down the road. Well, thank you all very much. I really appreciate it. Offensive Thanks, line Go coach. Bears. Go Bears. Juan Castillo, Bears' new offensive line coach. When we come back, we'll revisit the Hall of Fame election of Jimbo Covert, a conversation with him, with Tom Thayer, Jim Miller. I'm Jeff Joniak. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
Back with you on Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, Jim Miller with you. And you can win an unforgettable trip to Mexico in March with your favorite Bears players inside the Bears hosts and Apple vacations. Enter the Bears to Beach sweepstakes now at chicagobears.com slash the Bears to Beach sweepstakes. As we get you set for uh, the season coming up, interesting conversation. We want a whole lot of different areas could have gone into there, but um, still going to get acquainted session with the roster and whatnot, but uh, any initial thoughts? Yeah, you know, one thing about Juan Castillo, I think he understands the tempo of what Matt Nagy wants to play at. Both of it's controlled tempo where they're huddling or a fast tempo because he's used to it from Andy Reid. And he talks about Andy Reid being an ex-college offensive lineman, but he is the the coordinator of the offenses that he's been running since Juan Castillo has been there. So a lot of the things that Matt Nagy is trying to emulate of the way Andy Reid does it, I think Juan already has a, a solid understanding of what Matt is going to try to accomplish with the speed of the offense. And I, I think he knows tough guys. I didn't even finish with the other guys that they had on their line. Sean Andrews, guy was tough as nails. Yeah. Hank Fraley, Steve Everett. I mean, there's just he knows the type of mindset you need as, as a football player up on the offensive line. And I think all the things, I just echo what Tom said. I think he shares a brain. He knows what Matt Nagy is looking for because Matt, obviously his mentor is Andy Reid, and they know that formula has worked in the NFL for, for a long time and why he tapped into a resource he knows so well in Juan Castillo. You know, some of those guys that he was talking about that he went and sought out year after year, uh, I know some of them, Tony Wise was one of them. Yep. Uh, the late Bob McKittrick, who uh, is From San Francisco, out, yep. uh, Jim Hannafin, who yep. we got to know doing Rams games. Coached my brother-in-law for ten years in Atlanta. Yep. John Scully. So th- those were names that uh, that I know he did talk to. So you're talking about. I know he's really with Dick Stanfield too, because when he was a younger guy, I did cross path pass with him at one time and talked about Dick Stanfield's coaching philosophy. All right, another outstanding offensive lineman in the the, the lifespan of a. Chicago Bear that covered nine seasons uh, was Jimbo Covert and Tom's teammate in 1985 this week, elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Here's a conversation I had with him earlier this week. You, you think about if you ever get a call like that, how you would react. And, uh, you know, just everything flashes before you, your whole career and, you know, your family and your parents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's pretty emotional. So, I mean, I... Uh, I uh, was speechless, but uh, I made it through. How do you put your career in context? Uh, you know what, uh, Jeff? I, I think when they had the regular voting process, you know, I kind of slipped through the cracks because I think they kind of, years ago when I first came out, it was kind of valued, you know, longevity, longer career, and it was more on, uh, you know, a longer career and maybe not as, maybe more valued that than maybe quality of the career. And uh, when this whole um you know, Centennial class came out and then they, they picked this blue ribbon panel, which was coaches and players and personnel directors and the voters. Um, you know, Dan Pompey thought that I had a, a better shot at that. And uh, I mean, I can't think of a better guy to have, you know, up there completing my case and Dan Pompey did a phenomenal job. So, I mean, that that's kind of how it all came together. The Hall of Fame players you faced and the, and the production you had against them was, was really something. So you got to have uh, that guy on an island that's going to be able to stop the great pass rushers. Do you feel that was your greatest value? Yeah, I, I think that. And I think that, you know, some of the Hall of Famers that I played against and, you know, the NFC when I played was a strong tackle era and a strong left tackle era, but it was also a strong pass rushing era, and that's why you had all those great tackles. So, 
Um, when you played against the guys, you know, like I did with Leroy Shulman and, you know, Lawrence Taylor and Chris Dolman and, you know, Charles Haley and that, I think, you know, I always played pretty well against them. And I think they, you know, the committee took that under consideration. I think Dan did a great job presenting that. Um, and I think that was a factor. And, and I also think when you have coaches and player personnel directors and ex-players in there, that changes the dynamic of the voting. Because I think prior to that, uh, there were probably some of those guys that were just, you know, if you have a long career and, uh, you know, you got to play a certain amount of minimum time or you just kind of fall through the cracks. And I think that's what happened to me. So do you feel blessed that this Blue Ribbon panel even existed? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, you know, I think I had a little bit of um, momentum, according to Dan, in the senior committee uh, prior to this uh, uh, centennial class. So I think maybe that had something to do with it. Because I know Dan and you know Rick Goslin and some other people wrote some really nice things about me and think that was helpful, very very helpful. So I think I had a little bit of momentum, but there's a, it's a large number of guys in there, Jeff. You know, so I mean to get to get out of there, um, you know, out of that senior pool is difficult. And um, you know, like I said, I just think Dan did a phenomenal job. So I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm just thrilled. And you know, I was <clears throat> trying to brace myself for maybe it not happening and uh you know when i got the call ecstatic talk to players all the time about how they feel about today you see your body of work in the rearview mirror and you hope it's recognized is that the case here because i don't think you go in thinking you're going to go to the hall of fame you'd like to be considered for that but a, a lot of time obviously has passed yeah you know when i retired i retired so early and and you know i just i you know i don't regret anything in my career i don't regret coming back too quick in 1988, uh, you know, six weeks after surgery and trying to play and, you know, and then going on IR and then finishing the rest of the year. I mean, probably a, you know, smarter guy would have stayed out the whole year and maybe had a longer career, but I don't regret it. You know, I don't regret anything I did in my career. So I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I wasn't concerned about that. So, um, and, uh, you know, I just let the tips fall where they may. So when I didn't play, you know, uh, 12 years, 13 years, you know, it just, it is what it is. But, you know, I started from the very first game, game I got in there, excuse me, very first day at minicamp I started um, in 1983. So, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in that, coming in and early and playing a difficult position. And, um, you know, I think maybe that had something to do with it as well. What do those other four guys mean to you? Uh, I mean, those, uh, it, it's a team game. It, it really is. And, you know, Borchi and Hilgi and Tom and, and, and Keith, I mean, we're like a family within a family. And, you know, when we play, we were obviously a lot closer than we are now, but we still talk. Um, and uh, I got texts from all the guys, and uh, it was meant really, really a lot to me um, to get that. And, again, it's a team game, but when you can get recognized in that team game, it's it's pretty special. So I'm looking forward to having all those guys to – to Canton and celebrating with them, and it's going to be all of a party. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Do you, do you have a great feeling about the Bears organization as well? Because you played your whole career one place, and that's even become more and more rare in this world. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, I was really, really fortunate. You know, to play play for the Bears and and play for Mike Ditka, and you know, um, I mean, I got in there and I. You know, I got the job right away, but a lot was expected of me as well. And, you know, I had, you know, it was my struggles early on when I was a rookie. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I centered myself pretty well and, uh, there was a lot expected of me, but, um, 
you know, that that whole, you know, franchise. And, you know, I, I tell you what, you, you just miss a lot of the things. And when I got hurt in 88, it was really special. I was telling someone that the other day. When I got hurt in 88 and I was, you know, it was during training camp and I was down at Rush Presbyterian uh, St. Luke's and um, Ed McCaskey came to have lunch with me every day. And, um, I mean, I think back on things like that and uh, it was really special. It meant a lot to me. And, uh, you know, he had the racing form out and asked him to take <laughs> a couple of horses. But um, he, uh, he was a special person and um, meant a lot to me. So, I mean, I just was kind of recollecting on those things the other day and uh, and pretty special. You know, I don't think the expectations for Jimbo Cover coming out of college were ever too big for him. He understood what he was going to be up against because everybody kind of knew where and that he was going to be drafted early. And it was not going to be a development player. It was going to be draft and play. And so, you know, Jimbo, he fulfilled everything that, that the Bears needed. Um, he was a high-profile draft choice, came from the same college as the head coach. And I think Mike Ditka put a little bit of pressure on him to be as successful as he envisioned Jimbo to be and become. And so I do think um, when you have a great offensive line coach in Dick Stanfeld, who is a great player himself, he recognizes talent, he understands how to develop it. But really, the momentum and the ferociousness of that team was was built on the personality of Mike Ditka. And because they had the Pittsburgh common ground, um, I think it was a it was a great brotherhood, mentorship, and relationship for Ditka and Jimbo. Jim, quick thought? Uh, I, well, like Tom said, I think just tough-minded. I think he knew what was expected of him because Ditka, from his uh, same area in PA there, of what was expected. I know Dan Marino had a lot to do with it, too, of really pushing Jimbo. But, hey, plug-and-play player, you're blocking Hall of Famers like Lawrence Taylor and he can't get a sack against you. He's one of the all-time greats ever. And Jimbo Covert shut him out. This is Bears All Access. Time for a break on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by CDW. People to get it. Learn more at CDW.com. Jeff and Tom and Jim Miller with you. Uh, the big news this week about training camp. I'm sure you guys already did some stuff on it on the course of the week, but um, training camp at Hallis Hall. Yeah. Thumbs well, up? It, well, it kind of reminds me of being a little kid because when I was a little kid and I was driven to Bears training camp practices at the old Hallis Hall, and they had much less of a facility for the fans and the people to you know to get a, a look at what the practices were all about. And that's what you thought was the the luxury of the NFL and then they move it to Platteville and then they moved it down to Kankakee and now back to the facility and I think this has been something a couple years in the making when they expanded the facility they built more practice fields and they have much more working space for the players for the Bears to be able to hold a training camp Jim you could talk intelligently about this because you go to a lot of camps and you've seen a lot of them that have been staying in their own facilities was mine not intelligent? no no but I'm saying I was going man no 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 no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, here, here, no, you know what I mean. Here's what I'd say. I'd say I just think it becomes a normal workday. You know, so many teams have invested so much in their facilities, and the Bears obviously have invested a lot, not only in the in the training room, the weight room, the front office, so many things. It just becomes a normal workday. You know, you're just more efficient. You know, the front office doesn't go have to go down to Bourbon A now. Remember, I remember the first one we did at Plat or uh, at Bourbon A. We literally had to pack up the whole weight room to take down there. 
and the training room and part of the front office. So it just to me it just is it's more efficient. More teams are doing it. I look at the you know basically what the McCaskey families have done. McCaskey family has done with Hallisaw. I see uh, you know obviously the owner of Steve Bichotti of Baltimore. He's done the same thing. They'll bring in grandstands. They'll still be able to accommodate the fans that'll come and VIPs that'll come out to the practice and and things like that. But you're just I think teams feel that they can accomplish a lot more and it becomes a normal work day just working out of their own. Facility. I think the health and safety issue is also significant because sure. if some, they have a, a tremendous setup right now. And and they put the players first in that situation. Well, you know, I, I again, I mentioned my brother-in-law, John Scully, played 11 years for the Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons, they held their training camp at the same facility they practiced at all year. So they've been doing this now for 30-something years. So it's not new to the NFL. It's just that when you can provide your team with the 100, 105, whatever guys that can come through training camp, plus you have all the extra trainers, all the extra water people, all the extra staff that is, you know, working training camp, you know, just just the amount of hours they put in every day. I think it's, you know, the right call well, to, to keep them housed in that facility Jeff, all year long. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. And, Jeff, I think you said something that was important. Like, we, I actually did. Remember when the New Orleans Saints went to the Greenbrier in West Virginia mm-hmm. or even the Houston Texans? Health and safety is the biggest thing you mentioned. They didn't even have an MRI machine. They literally had to fly a helicopter and bring, and they had to build a helipad. So if a player got hurt at practice, they had to fly him 45 minutes via helicopter, you know, to Richmond, Virginia, or wherever was the nearest uh, facility. Um, so I think that's a, a a big part of it as well, and and what Tom touched on there. I mean, it's just it's just all around more efficient from from that standpoint. All right, so Tom, every now and again, he's, he doesn't have much going on. You, you know, you're, you're in the off season now, but you're still thinking football every day. Right, I like it. I like it. So I get a, I get these arbitrary texts, <laughs> Jim. You know, for show topics and so forth. But he's, he's done some statistical research about Khalil Mack and the impact on the pass rush. Yes, the sacks went down from fifty to thirty-two for the team, but it, it was illustrative. Tom, well, you take know, the if, ball if and you run. go you go to the Bears website and they put these interesting. Um, packages of different films so one of them was the all the sacks the bears had throughout the season so i was watching it and just trying to pay attention to when khalil was on the field and when he wasn't how they were uh, attacking khalil mack but what were the other guys trying to you know what were they trying to accomplish and so out of the 32 sacks khalil mack was on the field for 29 of them and he factored in whether he got the sack or someone else did because there was all always multiple blockers on Khalil Mack. So he was productive when he was in there. He added production to the defensive line. Yeah, the Bears fans want to see him as a double-digit sacker year in and year out and let everybody else come across. But I think when you really go back and you go to the Bears' website and look up the sack reel and just pay attention to see the direction of the blockers there, how many bodies were surrounding Khalil. And then when they didn't surround him by extra help, he got the sack. So it was it was clear evidence that going into this season they're still going to try to figure out a way to put multiple bodies on Khalil Mack you have to but the other guys yeah. are going to have to step up and in and make more plays and get more pressures you know you think of you know last in 2018 they had 187 team pressures last year they had 158 so you know that that's that's less you know in in, in 2018 Khalil Mack had 47 pressures in 2019 he had two he had 45 two less so yeah. only two less pressures so the production of there is out of Khalil, 
But it's about the other guy stepping up and trying to devise a new scheme, how to move Khalil Mack around and become less predictable where he's going to line up. Adam Szynski, Brandon Orlowski, our producers here tonight on Chicago Sports Radio 670 Score. One more segment to go with Jim Miller and Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. Back in a minute. You can help deserving families by donating a gently used winter coat to the Chicago Bears' Jewel Osco Coat Drive at the participating Jewel Osco locations now through February 28th. Donations benefit the Salvation Army. Remaining moments with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. I'm Jeff Joniak, and this is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Uh, Jim, it's scouting season, buddy. You got East-West Shrine game. What are you hearing? Any, uh, any interesting? Senior ball or East-West Shrine? East-West. East-West. Yeah. Yeah, East West is uh, this this weekend. Well, Jesper Horstead was in that game last year. Yeah, I mean, it, well, a lot a lot of times they do carry over. If there's some really good players, Jim Nagy always carries over a lot of guys that will be able to have the opportunity uh, in the Senior Bowl. I I just know specifically just getting ready for the Senior Bowl. This is a really good class that he that he's got here. Just the guys he invited, the guys that are coming uh to to this game. Obviously getting Jalen Hurts at the quarterback spot is big one. Herbert out there from Oregon. I hope f- for all it, I hope that, you know, when you look at Brewer goes to the senior goes to the senior role. He doesn't have to practice. He doesn't have to do anything, but I think he should want to talk to the Cincinnati Bengals staff and Zach Taylor. Um Obviously, he's had a great year. He, you know, and he got banged up in the national championship game. Supposed to get a little rib cartilage, but if I were him, I would go. But this is really just a stellar class of wide receivers. Yeah, that's what that's we're hearing a lot about the receivers. Hearing a lot about the receivers. It is it really that top heavy? Yeah, remember Michael Pittman was a running back for Tampa. After I got released by the Bears, I went down and played with Tampa. Michael Pittman was there. His son out at USC, six foot four, two hundred and twenty eight pounds. He'll be in this game, <laughs> and I'm like, "That's Pittman." And Pittman was only like, I don't know, five seven, five eight. Right. You know, <laughs> he was Bill a rock. He was, yeah, he was built up and rocked up. But man, it's there were some excellent wide receivers, big defensive backs, and I think a really good offensive line class that'll be there. But I hope that Brewer goes, and you know, he probably doesn't have to. But I would, if I were him, I'd want to get to know that Cincinnati Bengals staff. You know, would you rather be Pittman and grow bigger than your dad, or be DK Metcalf and grow smaller than your dad, being a <laughs> Former offensive lineman here in Chicago, Metcalf's dad. But so you know, you look at the yeah, sizes. Andy Heck's son is going to be draftable, and same story with uh, John Runyon's kid. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see yeah. Runyon's kid at Michigan. Um, and Andy Heck is this the triplets that he had while he was yeah. a player here for the Bears? You didn't know, so. Tom. <laughs> I know. Well, I, you know, you look at some of the names of these guys that are coming up through the ranks, and you start. Um, start getting to know you know just remember their family names and you know just some of the success that they've had in the bloodlines all right title game time we'll start with big jim you got chiefs hosting tennessee chris jones missed practice again uh with that calf injury so he's still iffy yeah but unlike uh you know at least for me baltimore last week baltimore in my opinion can't play from behind you know the three games that they fell behind they lost every single one of them we saw Kansas City, they were able to do that, right? They were down 24 to nothing, and they they took the lead before halftime. It was 28-24 in the blink of an eye. I don't think this is uh, – they're blowing Tennessee out by any stretch of the imagination. Tennessee's beat them before. They know they've got the formula to do it. They've got to, you know, deflate the football, run it, slow – or grind the clock, those type of things. But I, I just think that offense is just too powerful uh, for Kansas City. I, I really do, and I think Mahomes – has the right quarterback to really explode, expose 
a good secondary. I think is a good secondary with Kevin Byard, and they just got a Dory Jackson back. But I just think it's too much for 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 Tennessee to go in there and do it. Tom? I really do. You know, I'm trying to look up the weather for Kansas City for this weekend because, you know, so they play Sunday afternoon. It's 11 for a low, 25 for a high, but sunny. So that won't hurt the passing game. If you were going to have really deteriorated conditions in Kansas City on that natural grass field, I would give more of an advantage to the Tennessee Titans just because of their ability to powerfully run the game and take away possessions away from Kansas City. But I think the weather conditions are going to be favorable for both teams. I'm still kind of pulling for Tennessee just because I like to see old-school football prove itself even in at this stage of the playoffs. And, you know, it's I'm quite pulling. a run for Derrick Henry right now. Wow. I mean, all the, you know, the offensive line, the mentality, Derrick Henry, he never reduces his speed once he gets the ball into his hands and he's getting the line full speed. All right, I'll give you the leadoff on this one. The 49ers hosting Green Bay. I think I Two think losing the, teams a year ago. Yeah. One of them's going to be I, I think Bowl. that uh, the, what, uh, what San Francisco can put up up front against Aaron Rodgers and their defensive line, their constant pressure, and what they can do on the offensive side of the ball, I am going to go for San Francisco. They beat him pretty handedly earlier in the year. I think Aaron Rodgers almost had less than 100 yards passing. Green Bay Green Bay will play better, but they're not the better football team. San Fran's the better football team. We'll see. Aaron Rodgers can make it different. We know that. He's a fantastic quarterback. I just think overall San Francisco in all three phases is the much better team than the Green Bay Packers. That defensive front, if you want to see the Packers go down, the defensive front of the 49ers, got to get after him. All right, that's going to wrap us up, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Tom Thayer, thank you. Adam Szynski and Brandon Orlowski. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on ChicagoBears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.